rejoice in the freedom of God. God's freedom calls us toward an ever-changing reformation. God's freedom invites us to intimacy with God. God's freedom demands action and responsibility and relationship. Let us bask in God's freedom and let us find the courage to live into God's freedom by speaking the truth, forgiving ourselves and others, and by loving one another. We confess that God's freedom is both liberating and demanding. We confess that we have not loved God, our neighbors, our enemies, or ourselves as Christ has commanded. We ask for God's forgiveness. We pause for a moment of silence. Sisters and brothers, we are forgiven. Live fully in the grace of God. We lift our voices in gratitude and praise to God. the sanctuary is, it is a place apart from the traffic of life to which we sell our souls in Atlanta. And as we gather in this sanctuary, we do so to make our lives available to God for encounter and experience, and also experiencing and being with the fellowship of God's people. So welcome to this place. On this Sunday, it is Reformation Sunday because it was 502 years ago that Martin Luther, the great reformer, nailed the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg Castle Church door on the front of your order of service. There is a picture of it, and it is from one of our faceted glass windows. It is that window right there. And you'll see the 95 Theses on the door, and there's a hasp or a hinge on the door. Uh, of the church, and then there's the Herald Rose that is emblematic of Luther. So we are reformed and reforming as we uh, are working on and being present with our Christian lives. We, as we do so, we hear scriptures that will challenge us, sermons and songs, and even a skit today that our children and others will help us do. So as we are present to God, Apart from the traffic of life, we pay attention to the Spirit of God calling us to continue con uh, becoming in, in Reformation. Welcome to the worship of God.
On this Reformation Sunday, I'm especially grateful to help lead in worship. This particular Sunday was my late husband Kenneth's favorite Sunday of the year. He was a reformer, and he believed that everyone could and should reform from our flaws and our weaknesses and grow in our Christian lives. The first lesson comes from a, the re, a reading from the book of Joel. God's spirit is promised to all people, men and women, young and old. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the later rain, as before. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I, the Lord, am your God, and there is no other. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Then afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and the female slaves, in those days I will pour out my spirit. I will show portents in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Here ends the first lesson. Now will you join me in prayer? God of love and grace, we are grateful that you continue to pour out your spirit on us so that we can prophesy and dream and see visions of a better world. The rains have come and the tribulations have come and gone and there will be more. We are thankful for more opportunity to live more faithfully into the fullness of the challenge of your word. Forgive us when we do not rise to the difficult demands of your liberating freedom and help us to act with an honest conscience and not deceive ourselves with lies and the ease of selfish living. Give us courage to speak up and support candidates who live out honesty and fairness. Give us courage to commit to reforming not only our nation's prejudice and greed, but also our own sin and selfishness. Give us wisdom to oppose the violence that is bred by resistance to fairness and diversity. Give us wisdom to claim the humility of the tax collector who prays for mercy for his sins, and not the pride of the Pharisee who praises himself for what he considers his holiness. We ask your blessings on those that suffer from the devastation of tornadoes and fires, from physical pain, from grieving, from hunger, from persecution, 
and from violence and war. We know we continue to wrestle with the evils of our own humanness, but we want to have the faith to persevere for good and to create more love in your world. That is what Reformation in our time is all about. <coughs> that each of us put our hand to the plow, not look back, but only look forward to how we can contribute to a more just, loving, and forgiving world. May we only be perfected to the extent that we own our own need for mercy and we express love and mercy to others. And now we join together to pray the prayer that you taught your disciples and that you are still teaching us, saying boldly, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Apostle Paul reviews his life and prepares for his death, a reading from the second letter of Paul to Timothy. As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Here ends the second lesson. Would all the children please join me up front for our time together? We'll meet right here on the steps. Hi, how you doing, Julie? Sit here. Hi, if you have your offering, Pastor James has the offering plate. And if you'd stick it in there, that'd be good. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Everybody have a seat? You sit down right here. All right, okay, so this morning we have a very interesting children's time today. We're going to hear a really cool story, one that you may never have heard today, and it's going to be, it's going to be told to you in a very interesting way. Oh, but you can't look at this yet. 
It's part of our story. So I want you all to be excellent listeners today because it's not just me who's going to tell the story today. So make sure that you turn your ears on and you open your eyes and you give people your good attention. Now, do you know, have you ever heard the word conscience before? You have. And, and what, when you heard conscience, what, like, what is that? Oh, it's in your head. Is that right? Right here? Is it like a, what, is it like your brain in your head or what, what's in your head? It's like the little, the little cricket from Pinocchio, Mary Frances said. It's a, is it like a, is it like a voice, like you said, Joseph, a voice? And Sloan said, in our head. So it's like a little voice in your head. And what does that little voice in your head tell you if, if it's a conscience? Tells you what to do? Maybe like good things to do? And maybe like what bad things not to do? Is that right? Well, today we have a story about someone who listened to their conscience. Somebody who wouldn't not listen to their conscience, and they just had to do what that voice, that conscience told them to do. And it starts with a diet of worms. Look at this right here. I have worms. Can you Over here, sir, over here. What, what have you brought with you today? My books. Oh, I see, and you have your hammer that you've been hammering the 95 Theses, I assume. You brought your books with you. I am Johann Eck, and I represent the Emperor. And we are here to examine Dr. Luther today. Are you listening? I want to ask you a question. These books that you brought with you, and this one has your picture on it. Did, did you write this book, sir? And will you recant, sir? What does recant mean? I'm glad you asked. It means you say that you didn't really mean what you wrote. That you are sorry that you wrote it. Well, I will not recant. I wrote it and I meant what I said. Then what do you have to say for yourself, sir? Filed in ora majestate, und die Herrenschaften, eine Anfacke an Bord begehren, so will ich eine geben, die wieder Höhne noch Zähne hat. Bin ich nicht durch Schreuzeugnisse oder helle Gründe Würde überwunden werden, denn ich glaube, weder dem Papst noch den Konsuleien allein, weil versteht, dass sie öfter geirrt und sich selbst widersprochen haben. So bin ich überwunden durch die von mir angeführten Schriften und mein Gewissen. Gefangen in Gottes Worten. Widerrufen kann ich nichts und will ich nichts, weil wieder das Gewissen zu behandeln beschwerlich und sicher 
und nicht lauter ist. Hier stehe ich. Ich kann nicht anders. Gott helfe mir. Amen. Look, nobody here speaks German, I'm assuming, but what I think you are saying is that you cannot recant anything and will not recant anything because it is difficult, dangerous, and dishonest to act against one's conscience. Here I take my stand. I cannot do otherwise. God, help me. Amen. Well, yes, that's exactly what I said. <laughs> Did you not hear me the first time? <laughs> So everybody, you see, that was Martin Luther. He was reading part of his very important uh, 95 list of reforms that he wrote. He was reading from that in German. Did you hear him? But what he was saying was he followed his conscience. And no matter how much other people wanted him to not do that, he had to do it because he felt that he must and God wanted him to. So he followed his conscience and he did. And now we are going to sing a hymn all together that he wrote. And we're going to let that be our prayer for today. And since you were such great listeners, remember, he went to the diet of worms, not the diet of worms. But we'll have a treat. Just take one. All right.
collector praying in the temple. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves and rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far away, would not even look up to heaven. He was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this, meant this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves shall be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are 502 years from the date that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the church door, and the church still has a lot of reforming to do. Last week, a group of evangelical leaders gathered at a conference in order to honor the preacher John MacArthur. They played a game during the event. Panelists were given a phrase, and they were asked to give a two-word response to the phrase. And the first phrase that was given was Beth Moore. Now, some of you may not know, but Beth Moore is a Southern Baptist author, preacher, and teacher who has inspired thousands of people. And MacArthur went first in the game, and when asked to give a two-word response to this human being, Beth Moore, he said, go home. And the audience laughed. And MacArthur continued, he said, there is no case that can be made for a woman preacher, period, paragraph, end of discussion. And this came as a surprise to all those who not only have made such a case, but won it decades ago. Women preachers like Karen Massey, Priscilla Effinger, Caitlin Cook Fur, Alyssa Adolfe, many others had arose within our own community didn't know that there couldn't be a case made. Many have observed that there was an attitude of contempt in that room. Contempt for women in ministry, contempt for the notion that gospel truth might spring forth from the lips of women. It would not have been out of place for those gathered to look to the heavens and say, God, I thank you that I'm not like all those people and we find such an attitude of contempt in the parable that you heard read from today's gospel lesson. We don't know who was in the audience for this parable, and we can only imagine. Maybe Jesus was the keynote speaker at the annual convention of the Pharisees. Wherever it was and, and whoever was gathered, we can be certain of only one thing. Nobody present was aware of that devastating moral observation that Luke makes in the ninth verse. He said, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. 
No, 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 nobody there actually knew that that described them. Because there were no self-righteous labels passed out on the way in. No signs that said, if you trust in your own righteousness and have contempt for others, would you sit on the groom's side, please? Imagine it was standing room only and all eyes were riveted on Jesus. And he tells those who trusted in themselves a parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And you see, I think we are at a strategic disadvantage here in the 21st century because we have 2,000 years of tradition and interpretation that condition us to have a Pavlovian response to the word Pharisee. We are supposed to think legalistic and self-righteous, but that was not the conditioned response in Jesus' time. And the Pharisees were a well-respected religious tradition within Second Temple Judaism. They were scholars of the Torah, emphasizing obedience to the law. And so when Jesus said a Pharisee was among the two men, the precise opposite of our Protestant reaction likely occurred in the gathered crowd. They thought to themselves, oh, the Pharisee, that's the good guy in the story. Got it. So there's, there's the good guy, the really religious person. He is standing by himself, Luke tells us. The text could be translated as literally he was talking to himself because that's what he was doing, wasn't he? With this prayer, he honored God with his lips, but God was far from his heart. The Pharisee prayed at God, not to God or with God. God, he says. Now, don't get me wrong, that's a good start. It's always good to start your prayer addressed to God. And he says, I thank you. He is really on a roll now. He has properly started his prayer. He has continued with the word of gratitude. But then the prayer sort of craters. I thank you that I am not like other people. The oi lepoi, it says in the Greek. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, even like this tax collector. It is a prayer of self-absorption and contempt. He might as well have said, thank you that I am so wondrous and so good. It is a prayer that could be said without ever invoking God, actually. And what need was there to invoke God with all the great things he'd been up to? Under the law, he was only required to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement, but he had fasted twice a week. In tithing, he'd tithe a tenth of all his income. Under the law, he was only required to tithe on certain of his possessions, but he tithed on everything. But hold up a minute. On the other hand, what's really so wrong with fasting and tithing? I mean, if done with the proper motivation, those could be wonderful things that could bring you closer to God. In fact, if you want to double your pledge this year, I'm sure the finance committee will accept your pledge. And they will not call you a Pharisee or a tax collector. Jesus wasn't saying that God's people shouldn't fast or tithe. Jesus was saying that those who rely on their own deeds are trusting only in themselves for righteousness. And the thing is, if you only trust in yourself, you'll end up having contempt for others. The more you trust in your own righteousness, the more you end up believing that nobody else is righteous. 
We have this long history of hearing the word Pharisee and imagining that it is always somebody else who's being described. You know, the stereotype of the person who follows the law but doesn't really have the right relationship with God. The stereotype of one who is legalistic on the one hand but uncaring on the other. It is very difficult, it's perhaps almost impossible to imagine that we might just be the Pharisee in the parable. But just imagine with me for a moment that our society is capable of being filled to the brim with people who trust in themselves that they are righteous and regard others with content. I know it sounds far-fetched, but, but humor me for a moment, because in America at the present moment, one would think there's only one thing going on in the entire universe. Every day there's this battle between political sides to outdo each other in hyperbolic rhetoric. The language of dehumanization and belittlement is the common currency of that rhetoric. Each side has a deep contempt for the other. Each side wakes up daily and genuflects at the altar of contempt and maybe says this prayer, God, I thank you that I'm not like all those other people. Watch out for the language of dehumanization. When somebody cuts us off in traffic, we yell out curses which are meant to dehumanize the other. When somebody does something just beyond the pale, we say, they're trash. Because you can just throw away a piece of trash. That's how contempt works. Just open your newspaper and see how people are talking about each other. You'll see incarnated the dictionary's definition of contempt, which is a feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless, deserving scorn. Thank God I am not like those people. Pharisee points to the tax collector, even this tax collector. Thank God I'm not like him. And yet everybody in the audience who heard the parable, I imagine, nodded in agreement. Yes, thank God we're not like the tax collector because they were universally condemned. 2,000 years have gone by and not much has really changed. Tax collectors were really unpopular back then and they still are. Back then, though, the tax collectors had been co-opted by the Roman Empire to help exploit the poor. They were regularly engaged in graft, fraud, and extortion. They skimmed their own percentage off an already exorbitant top. So imagine with me the tax collector. He has found a private place in a corner of the temple, but apparently still within the scornful gaze of the Pharisee. And he could not even bring himself to look up to the skies. He kept his eyes downcast because his spirit was downcast. He beat his breast, a bit of self-flagellation, something to physically demonstrate the depth of his feeling. And this was his prayer. He prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we're not told what his sins were, but we can guess because we're told that he was a tax collector. Perhaps it was fraud. Perhaps it was exploitation of the poor. Maybe he was the one who had done an unjust action against the widow in the preceding parable. But even if we don't know, God knew. And the tax collector knew. And in that simple act of burying his soul before the living God, mercy flooded that temple. 
Mercy flowed down like an ever-flowing stream, covering all of the sins of the tax collector. Mercy flowed out of the very heart of the temple, from the sanctum sanctorum, out onto the streets of Jerusalem. Mercy exploded out of the very heart of God, whose son would soon be crucified on a Roman cross. Mercy, yes, mercy for those who could never make up for their crimes on their own, who could not be forgiven by their tithes and fasting alone. Mercy would now be available to all people who confessed their sins and came before God and asked for mercy. And here we are. It is the year 2019. It is Reformation Sunday. And the hard reforming truth which I saw within myself this week was that I have been the Pharisee in the parable. I have looked on those who espouse a theology and a politics different than mine and held them in contempt. Thank God. I am not like them. I have uttered within my heart. And as I read the gospel over and over again this week, it occurred to me that I have been at times just like those who Jesus addressed. Those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. You see, until you are able to hear the gospel as being addressed to you directly, instead of always to those who have harmed you, the gospel will never have a claim on you. Because it is always we who stand before God, we who are responsible for our own sins and shortcomings, we who must confess that we have sinned and ask God for mercy. Paul says, let everybody else work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But if it is mercy that you want, you may ask for it with a heart full of repentance instead of denying it to those who espouse a different theology or politics. And the good news is that God stands ready to grant mercy to all who ask. May that be our reformation. Amen. is our tradition to offer a word of invitation and dedication when the word is preached. Thank you, Daniel, for giving the gift of self and sermon as we all feel uh, drawn into a time of confession. And after all, do we hate the haters? Or is there another call of love that we are invited to do? The hymn that we will sing is a hymn of dedication speaks to that. It speaks of just how wide and inclusive God's mercy is. That is part of our DNA as a church that we keep living toward. Today we'll sing about it. Let's stand together and sing.
announcements to you this morning. I'd like to go ahead and ask Jordan Clark to come forward to the lectern in a moment. You'll hear from Jordan, who's our chair of the Finance Committee. We're about to kick off our stewardship drive uh, this fall. Oh, and he has a special guest with him this morning. A couple of announcements. You know, tonight we have truck or treat. That'll be at 5 o'clock. Hallelujah, we got great weather, not raining. Please show up, bring your trunks decorated, or if you don't want to decorate your trunks, just show up. If you're bringing candy, uh, no nuts, please, for allergies, and we'd love to see you tonight at 5. Uh, next week, we have a special uh, guest, the, the Foshi family, Laura and Carson Foshi will be here, and the, uh, they are missionaries to Japan. Laura grew up uh, in this church, and they will be uh, hosted by the missions ministry team for a luncheon after the service. Well, they'll be talking about their experience in Japan. If you can RSVP and join us for that, we'd love to have you as our guest. Jordan. Thank you. I'm here on behalf of the Finance Committee, and I'm proud to tell you this is a historic moment. For the first time in the history of our church, I can tell you that our committee has prepared this budget with 2020 vision. <laughs> now, now, don't get me wrong, we, we don't know what's going to happen next year, but we're certain, certain it'll be 2020. So we'll, we're ready for that. Um, we've got a flat budget proposal. Uh, we're going to ask for about a 1% increase. Um, if you just pledge what you did this year, we'll be fine. If your fortunes are such that you can increase it a little bit, that'd be great too. But we're going to be fine coming through with what we've done for 2019. One thing we do need big improvement on though is the number of pledgers we have. We, we are beneficiaries of a, of a culture of great generosity here. Uh, thanks to our charter members and others who've been here for a long time. People have given very generously, but we don't have enough of us giving. So I'd like to see if we can increase that number this year. And we're gonna start with some young people who've not pledged yet. I wanna introduce you to, this is my granddaughter, Sloane Mudd. She turned, how old last week? Six. She turned six. Do you think you're old enough to pledge? Yes. Yes? Can you make a pledge for us? Yes, I pledge to give one dollar Wow, that'll be, let me think, that'll be like $52. What can the church do with a, your $52 pledge? We can buy goldfish for the kids' church classes. Oh. We can buy Chick-fil-A for the Habitat Humanity Workers. We yeah. can buy school supplies for the Tolliver County students. Wow. There's a lot we can do with an extra $50 pledge, isn't there? $52 pledge. Okay, well, thank you. That's very generous of you. And we're going to ask all your friends to pledge too, right? You think we can get your brother Jay to pledge? Yes. You think so? Okay. Well, we'll invite all the children to pledge, and we're going to invite all the members to pledge, and we'll be sending you letters, and, and, uh, and we'll be sending you thank you notes when you do. So. Thank you for giving us this chance to speak to you about it. Thank you for your pledge, Sloan. Okay, here we go. And thank you, Sloan. We continue our worship with the giving of our tithes and offerings. And this hymn, it's Psalm 84, set to music by Brahms and sung today by our choir.